entertainment, sports, culture. This is Raleigh Co. Radio, podcast presented by Raleigh and Company. Joining me for uh, episode number two of Spooning with Dimitri. I'm Dimitri Ravanis. This podcast is uh, all about chefs and restaurateurs and food truck operators here in the Triangle. And so for the first time, we're talking to a food truck operator. We're talking to Nate Adams, who uh, owns and operates Chirba Chirba Dumplings, the big yellow truck you might have seen at all the food truck rodeos uh, here in the Triangle. It's got to be one of the most popular ones at, uh, at any food truck rodeo that you go to. Nate is an incredibly interesting and 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 really um, well thought out dude. That might sound like uh, I think he rehearsed a lot of his answers. That's not what I mean. It's it, what I mean is he seems like he's really considered why he's doing everything he's doing the way he's doing it. Yeah, that sounds right. All right. So anyway, um, I, I hate to say any interview so far is great bad, whatever, because obviously this show is growing uh, all the time. This one, though, I think to this point is one of uh, two that really stand out as uh, terrific for me. I learned a lot about the food truck industry uh, in this podcast. In fact, you'll hear there are uh, laws that govern the way food trucks can operate that I had no idea. You know, I I just had no idea uh, they were the case. Uh, the song I picked today as the background music is Rage Against the Machines cover of Bob Dylan's Maggie's Farm. And, and this is why. What you'll find out is that while Nate uh, was born here in the U.S., he grew up in Taiwan. And, and his business is about bringing something that's very common in Taiwan and making it very much his own back here in the States. And that's, that's sort of what I feel uh, is the case with this song. Because while certainly... It was a real classic for Bob Dylan, and there is a whole generation that knows Bob Dylan's Maggie's Farm. Uh, This version is very much Rage Against the Machines. It is a traditional thing that they made their own and put their own signature twist on. So anyway, this is uh, my chat with Nate Adams. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for hanging around for episode number two of Spooning. food truck rodeos in Durham got started uh, with the folks from Pie Pushers and you said it started the, the one in Central Park that is now I think that's the one in the triangle most people at least first became familiar with even though the Raleigh one now is gigantic or the Raleigh ones now are gigantic the Durham ones were the ones everyone here in the triangle got exposed to food trucks with so you said it started with six trucks who were who were the six was there any sort of effort made to to not step on each other's toes in terms of cuisines offered i honestly wasn't around for the very first food truck rodeo Uh Uh, my founding partner ali did see it 
And I remember him coming to us like, guys, I, I got this great business idea. Like the lines, <laughs> you can't believe it. It was yeah. amazing. Um, so I, I know that uh, um, Becky with Pie Pushers and Brian with Only Burger were, were key in starting up that rodeo in conjunction with the Durham Central Park people. Yeah. Um, there just weren't that many food trucks at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I, I think it might have been somewhere around six, but um, yeah, it was kind of kind of crazy because they came up with the name Rodeo, and that's just kind of been the term associated with any gathering of food trucks. Now. <laughs> right, it's, it's kind of like when genius strikes, it just you know everybody runs with it. If yeah. it fits, you can't imagine calling it anything else now. So is the goal is the goal completely about the truck or you know I mean there've been so many people that have opened a food truck before they can afford a brick and mortar place. Exactly. <clears throat> and the thing the thing with rodeos we found, you know, you were talking about do trucks step on each other's toes. Mm -hmm. Um we found I guess from organizing these types of events that <clears throat> the more different types of trucks that you have um, the more options there are for a group of people to come. You right. know? In, in any group of people going out to eat together, there's always someone that has, you know, um, a specific diet need mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, specific tastes. Yeah. And a lot of times the group will, you know, cater to that person and decide where they're going to go, where everyone can enjoy, yeah. you know, the food. So by bringing multiple trucks together, you know, because of our space, uh, on these trucks you're very limited right you know so you have to be niche mm -hmm. you have to be specific and uh, so you get a bunch of trucks that do very specific things um, very well put them all together in a ring around an otherwise unused space and you activate the space right to a public destination right basically and, and you start doing those rodeos and people start to like I know I sort of have I know what my first two trucks are going to be, mm -hmm. and I know what the last one's going to be. Right. Uh, you know, my, my my pattern is always start with uh, your Juicy Dumplings uh -huh. from Cherba Cherba, <laughs> yeah. then over to Pie Pushers, and then I'll explore in the middle, but I always come back to the Belgian Waffology truck yes. uh, for dessert. Yes. Um, you, I would imagine, as, as often as you guys are out, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, we, we talked about the Durham event and the Raleigh event, but, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about the RTP and mm -hmm. the ones that have popped up and... Wake Forest and Apex and Cary. Um, do you have people that you're seeing at every event, people that are becoming as loyal to you as, you know, their favorite bar or favorite restaurant? Absolutely. I mean, we're we're coming into year three now. Yeah. So um, there are definite regulars that I see, you know, I, can, I know I can expect them at this location. <laughs> right. And then, you know, they happen to be in another town when we're there. And they'll stop by and say hi. Yeah. <clears throat> maybe they'll get some food. Maybe they won't. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's kind of interesting. Like in any restaurant, you, you, uh, it takes a couple of years before you find out your regular base. Mm -hmm. And you know, am I going to see this person every week or every month? And those are the people that that support your business, basically. Yeah. So it's it's been really unique to see that happen when you're working geographically in yeah. such a wide area. So tell me a little bit about your history with food. Um, well. Uh, I was born in the U.S., but um, my folks moved to Taiwan in uh -huh. Asia whenever I was four years old. I grew up there from four to 18, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, my family was never really like into cooking. Mm -hmm. No one was a chef, um, right. you know. But just being over there and being out in the country, um, I was just exposed to 
the most authentic yeah. homegrown style of well of and at four atmosphere. you're you're open to that experience completely open yeah. what about what about for your parents was that a uh was that because you know we think of asian what we think of as asian food here is not asian food in asia i imagine it was a bit of a shock <laughs> yeah yeah i i think they sent some pictures back to my grandparents and uh <clears throat> They were like, "What? Why are you letting my grandkids eat that?" You know. Like, <laughs> but I, I fell in love with the food, and uh, when I came back to go to, to school at UNC, um, I experienced something called reverse culture shock, mm -hmm. and it manifests itself in in food. I had comfort food, dumplings, right, street fare that I could get at all hours in Taiwan, and I just couldn't find what I. What I remembered, what I really craved. Yeah, I very different from anywhere. the chicken and cheese biscuit at Time Out. Yeah, I mean, which is delicious too. <laughs> sure, I yeah, I understand what you're saying. Anytime I go back to Taiwan, I miss American food, so uh -huh. I'm stuck in this cycle of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the food is always better in the other place. But um, yeah, I mean, my my co-founders and I started um, making our own dumplings mm -hmm. while we were in college, inviting our friends over, um, having dumpling-making parties. Yeah. Oh, so just this is this cool thing we do, everybody yeah, come over. Yeah, yeah. and it, the party always ended up in the kitchen at our houses mm -hmm. anyway. You know, that's just who we were. We, you know, I made friends with people who had, uh, uh, you know, Asian culture, Chinese culture made a big part of their background also. Right. You know, my one friend, Yin, who became my business partner, his dad was a Chinese chef. So I always tried to get oh, invited cool. home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for dinner whenever I could. And I speak Chinese, so I, I, you know, got along with everybody's parents. And yeah, so it wasn't until I came back and got into college that I really started cooking. Then. Yeah. Um, so there's no, it sounds like there's no formal culinary training that maybe, like, you like food, everybody likes food, but uh -huh. it's, it's like really, it's dumplings that are... I don't want to say the passion, but it's like dumplings are the catalyst for your whole background with food. In a, in a way, yes. Yeah. I mean, that got me into... Or I guess your professional background with food. Yes. And and figuring out how to make not just dumplings, but other Taiwanese food that mm -hmm. I missed. Um, I started working in restaurants while I was in school. Um, and, you know, I started with running food and then dishwasher. Yeah. And worked pretty much every single position in, in a restaurant over the next decade. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, so just from doing that, I always, I always like to be in the kitchen yeah. the most, and uh, you know, picking up techniques, watching, mm -hmm. asking lots of questions, and then, uh, um, you know, practicing at home. But no, I, I had no, no formal chef training. Yeah, um, everything has been kind of uh, self-taught, but. You know, that sounds like I did something. Really, it's just paying attention to all these great, great <laughs> right. chefs that I've been around. Right. You know? <laughs> so, what about what about your parents? Did they? I mean, it sounds like if they were having some culture shock, they must have cooked at home a lot while you guys were in Taiwan. They did. They did their best to like, uh, you know, cook lasagna, <laughs> mac and cheese with whatever they with could, what was available, with yeah. what they could find. I mean, it's kind of tough with powdered milk. But <laughs> uh, what took them to Taiwan in the first place? Uh, they work for a nonprofit organization. Uh -huh. They're actually in. So they went over there. My dad's a doctor, and he worked for a uh, sort of the local hospital, and um, and uh, kind of donated its time. But they stayed in the same town uh, pretty much for for the entire time that we were there. On Back the very, in the state, now? In the on Taiwan, in the very southern tip of the island. Uh huh. It's like uh, Taiwanese Hawaii. Ah, very is, cool. It's really. We were really fortunate to yeah. be there. So they're back in the States now? 
no, they're still over there. Really? Yeah. So that's uh, that's home for them now. That's in a way, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they come back. I guess they have furlough about every every four years or mm -hmm. so. They make a return trip. Um, I'm actually going out there over Christmas um, and taking some of my key management. We're going to go fill up some notebooks with ideas. Very cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, the dumplings themselves and the. It seems like everyone I know that knows Cherba Cherba loves the juicy dumplings. Yes. Um, yes. Like, what was the uh, not the inspiration for it? I mean, obviously, you try whatever you think you want to, and then what tastes good goes on the menu. Exactly. But what was um, what is it that made you think this could work? Juicy buns have. Well, we. Not, I mean, is that, is that a is that a common bun in uh, in Taiwan? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. It's, it's like shallow bao, but it's a miniature version uh -huh. of basically a soup dumpling. Like mm -hmm. if you've ever been to Zhou Shanghai or something like that, um, that's basically what the juicy bun is. Um, and that one, I remember whenever we first launched that, we were we were terrified that people weren't going to. Um, you know, know how to eat it, and we're just going to pop it in their mouth and scald themselves mm -hmm. because the inside can be very, very hot. Yeah. So we had these little like "careful, I'm hot" signs that we <laughs> stuck in each one of them, and uh, you know, not an efficient use of time. But you know, we we figured out rather quickly that people around here not just they didn't just like. Um, know what dumplings were they right. they knew what good dumplings were and right. they, they got what we were trying to do and immediately you know turned out for us and we we ran into a really big problem right at the beginning which was scaling mm -hmm. you know we had three of us in operationally and we would be staying up all night making dumplings and then yeah. getting up and running the truck the next day and you know it's taken you know took a year to where we could hire staff, train them, and get that to where now there's a entire kitchen crew making dumplings while the truck is out. Mm -hmm. So we always stay on top of demand that way. Um, but yeah, and not just with the juicy buns, but with all of them, we had no idea how it was going to be received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for <laughs> me, it's always an order of the juicy and an order of the pork and scallion is. Uh, yes, that's my yes. go-to. Uh, so we are we are sitting here in your office, which is in. Uh, kind of, kind of downtown Durham, or on the way to downtown Durham. Yeah, uh, on the way to Raleigh, right? yeah. kind of outside of Durham. Yeah, on uh, on Briggs Avenue. Um, so, the, is the kitchen here in the this office? The room? kitchen is here. Yeah, yeah, we actually share a kitchen space with uh, a company that makes uh, uh, school lunches. Mm -hmm. So they're out of here at uh, noon, and then we get it for the rest of the day, and then yeah. on the weekends. Very cool. So it's kind of like a because otherwise this kitchen space wasn't being used during that time. Yeah, and I guess the the pre making dumplings, having them ready to you know just steam on site right uh yes that's yeah. right so you know we hand make the ones um here and we freeze them basically for for space mm -hmm. because you have to fit a lot of dumplings into a very small right. small area um down the line with brick and mortar concepts you know we have uh ideas of of uh, basically making them to order mm -hmm. right in front of oh, the customer. Cool. Just so like brick and mortar is in the future plans? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It, we're always thinking thinking forward, and I think a brick and mortar in some fashion is is definitely in Sherba's future. Mm -hmm. um, so the the first episode I recorded was with uh, Ken Yowell, who owns Calavella and uh, Oak City Meatball Shop uh, in downtown yeah, Raleigh. Yeah. And, uh, and he was telling me that you know most people would be surprised to learn how small the kitchen is 
at Calavella. So making those empanadas is it's got to be a well rehearsed, well choreographed dance. Yep. Um, certainly sounds very similar to a food truck. And what I was asking when, or what I wanted to ask when I said, uh, when I was asking about the kitchen and, and pre making the dumplings, um, it sounds like if I'm understanding the process right, there would be no way in that small of a space to make to order every order you guys get when the truck is out. Yes, yes. So um, the team making the dumplings at at this stage, mm -hmm. it's uh, anywhere from six to eight people mm -hmm. around. And, that, and that's not going to fit in your truck, obviously. No way. Yeah. No way. No how. <laughs> and it's actually um, in North Carolina illegal. You're not actually supposed to do your prep on your, oh, on really? your truck. Yeah. You you have to prep in your commissary kitchen where they can come and inspect you, mm -hmm. and then you just do like your your final cook on right. the truck. You know. Now, like a little bit of prep you know getting a garnish or whatever like that you know sometimes you have to do on on the truck or on site in mm -hmm. order to keep it keep it fresh and of a high quality um, right but i mean for us it was never a problem because like you said there's no way we would be able to fit our yeah. our operation because we knock we knock them out by the thousands it's just but it's it's so fun to watch uh-huh you know people are empathetic so so when you watch someone who's like in the zone mm -hmm. in their work zone they're almost like in a trance and someone who's like really focused and doing this repetitive action as a kid i i loved watching the the guys making the noodles or you know the ladies making the dumplings it just transfixed me and you just you just stare and you know kind of the rest of the world melt, melts away and you're just like watching this person yeah. do this thing it looks supernatural because mm -hmm. they're practicing mu muscle memory mm -hmm. something they've done so long so their their hands move almost too quick to see a lot of right. times and and in such detail and uh it's how someone really good at kitchen prep can dice a onion or a carrot and never nick their finger exactly yeah and it's such a thrill to watch like i'm you know in I hope that whatever space we find in the future, I, I can somehow bring, you know, the the fans of Churba and give them like a little peek into yeah. what's what's going on yeah. back there. Because it is, you know, we, we used to work out of the cookery before we moved here. We mm -hmm. got just um, a little bit too big for the space there as far as fitting in our prep. Um, but it was really cool because we're all prepping on top of each other, all <laughs> right. the different operations. We're there with American Meltdown and Pie Pushers in the parlor while they were there. Um, and yeah, sometimes I would just catch people like just just watching, just yeah. watching us plead. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the restaurant business. My dad's a chef. Uh, so that when you were talking about the kitchen was always the place you wanted to be. I was the same way because I, you know, started out just, you know, helping. I mean, I started working in the kitchen when I was nine, you know, started out helping whoever needed help. And then it was busboy. And then as soon as I could get back to the kitchen, I got back to the kitchen because it is like even like the slow seconds in a kitchen mm -hmm. are infinitely more interesting than the, you know, 10 to 30 minute blocks you might have of downtime out on the floor. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's just, you know, you, you work hard back there. Mm -hmm. It's hard work, but you, you know, the, the guys and gals that are back there that get really good at it, they, they work with such a lightness of spirit. You yeah. know, it's, there's such a culture of like good humor and, mm -hmm. and acceptance. You know, I, I just, I love back at house and 
you know, I always thought it was interesting that, you know, food trucks seem to be a step in the direction of getting the back of the house yeah, and absolutely. the customer together in, in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, the interaction is right there. The person who cooked your food is handing you your food. Right. You know, and making eye contact. Right. You know, it's 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 a great, you know, it's a great little conversation in a way. Well, and, and you know, it seems like there is a joy in interacting with the people in the back of the house because gone are the days of the 60-year-old man that has been a waiter his whole life, and that's what he, you know, that that was his calling. Right. Um, so the people in the back of the house, they are, like I said, they, there seems to be a better mood because a lot of them are doing what they want to do. They might not be the head chef yet, but they're on their way, whereas... Yeah, you know, for the most part, the person waiting tables is going to be a you know stock trader or a lawyer, or at a, least in their mind. That's, that's a stepping stone. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and I I love to see this, this sort of like resurgence in skilled skilled trade. I very much yeah. think that chefs chefs are like the the pinnacle when you think of like skilled trade because it, you know that there's no way that like machines can fully do what a chef does right there will always need to be somebody back there like you know hand chopping and and because of that it is a work of passion mm -hmm. and and it's a difficult job but you get passionate people that do it because they do it for some other reason than just the paycheck and, yeah and uh you know they have some creative ideas or they have something that they're trying to uh to to get at mm -hmm. you know so I, I love working with with chefs in that sense. Yeah, well, you know, to me that's always been why I've always looked at food trucks as um, trying to figure out how to how to how to say this right. Because if I say uh, if I say the next step from fast food, that sounds like an insult, and I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that you know your your fast food places, especially the big chains, you're right. So much of the uh, of the prep, and even a lot of the cooking is done completely automated. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you guys and American Meltdown, those are both really good examples of trucks you can get your food from quickly. But, you know, you can you can tell you guys use fresh ingredients. It is, uh, there is, I mean, I guess it sort of goes back to the difference between the kitchen and the floor. There is a pleasure, like you can you can experience the pleasure that you guys have in serving us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it, I it, it kind of completes the the loop, you know. You yeah. you can't have a food operation without all the parts, and and the customer is a part of that that yeah. wheel. They're a part of the machine in a way. So, um, you know, it, I I like to think about the whole transaction holistically in that way. And if my crew is doing something really difficult and mm -hmm. doing something really happy, then that carries over into the interactions with the customer, and they feel happy also yeah. because they see they see us having having a good time. Yeah, you know, and and, and yeah, is I I like that. Yeah. I, I like to see a talkative truck, and I like to see a happy, a happy truck. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if you cannot tell, my interview style is to just remember something and then go down that road. It doesn't matter how long ago we talked about it. I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. You keep bringing it back. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you did a lot of the prep, uh, you know, before you go out on the truck, not only because of space, but because that's part of the laws with North Carolina. What was... What's the process like of starting a food truck, and sort of ha how have you seen the the laws um, uh, evolve to be more food truck friendly? Um, 
It's like, you know, they're, they're big cities like uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, Atlanta's way behind the eight ball on uh, food trucks. Raleigh was way behind the eight ball compared to Durham on mm-hmm. food trucks. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more receptive attitude, yeah. you know, just, just throughout. I think a lot of the initial pushback uh, in North Carolina, you know, mostly in, in Raleigh at the time, was, was just kind of because no one really knew what was going to happen. Right. And, and there was there was some fear and some worry there, you know, rightly so. Like any anyone, if I owned a restaurant, I would want to protect myself. Of course. From possible competitors. Um, I think that the the Raleigh Rodeo really changed some minds mm-hmm. whenever we first had that. Um, I think that it kind of uh, it kind of proved to uh, to some some movers and shakers in the in the restaurants over in Raleigh that that. Um, you know, uh, food trucks can bring a crowd out, and and the floating tide rises raises all boats. Of course, you know we none of us can serve beer, wine, or mm. liquor, but the restaurants can. So yeah. like the crowd comes. Well, and also because of the way food trucks, the the food truck rodeos have grown in popularity, it's bringing people to areas that they're not usually in. Exactly. Um, you know, when my wife and I first moved to the Triangle, we moved to Durham, but we were out by South Point. You know, we right. came downtown occasionally, but because of the food truck rodeo now, I know Piedmont, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because yeah, it's, it's right, right there. there. Yeah. You know, the, the chef and uh, and beverage director are going to be on the show right after you. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it, there is uh, an element of discovery, not just for the food trucks, but for the whole community because of these uh, events. Absolutely. I've, I've heard us described as food ambassadors because yeah. people will come to, to a location where we are and then notice the little neighborhood bar mm-hmm. or notice the restaurant that's right there. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I love promoting that. I mm-hmm. love promoting the other businesses around where we are, you know, like uh, especially like the places around, you know, like Motorco and Full Steam. You can buy you buy food from us and you go inside, right. take the food inside. And, and um, you know, I, I think that that was really key, especially with the Raleigh Rodeo, because you, you know, you once you have this model of oh you you can throw this event and it it's it's almost like a spectator event people mm-hmm. come out to people watch and you can use that on an otherwise slower you know weekend to to bump up create Absolutely. create a pop and it, you know it also creates an exciting environment of, of things that are happening yeah. so um you know i i personally with my truck never really felt much of a much of an attitude of you don't belong here mm. or get out you know it, uh, part of the way that we we choose to run is we we really only go where we're invited right where we are have been in contact with the event coordinator we know how many people to expect mm-hmm. you know whether we're plugging in or on our generator all this stuff is is yeah. pre you know uh, knocked out and well and also there aren't a whole lot of dedicated dumpling restaurants that you know uh uh pizza or burger truck might run into true pushback that way true we did we didn't have uh you know the niche that we chose was pretty open yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what is uh what is the soundtrack to the truck i mean what do you guys listen to music is music a distraction oh yeah no truck? we we do um oh man i my my two my p- two partners uh were uh, really into salsa, <laughs> <So> <laughs> we would be rocking out to uh, uh, 
like salsa music yeah. most of the time. <laughs> um, I, I I think it just kind of depends on on uh, who's on the truck that day. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean we we do have speakers that are on. Sometimes we have to turn it off because. Um, you know, if you have generators and and everything else going, you have to be able to hear the customer. Right. But while we're cleaning and whatnot, we're definitely rocking out. <laughs> uh, so who who gets uh, who gets to pick the music? Is it whoever gets to the radio first? Yeah, whoever's whoever yeah. whoever has the phone that plugs it in gets to yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's going to be some classic. So you don't ever it's pull rank be, on anybody. If I have to, I have to. <laughs> you know, we can't always play Biggie Smalls at the uh, at the elementary school. You know. <laughs> Gotta, <laughs> gotta keep. It. Yeah. Although with defunding, you know, public school uh, extracurricular activities, they've got to get their music music education That's somewhere. That's true, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, very cool. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back to you talking about the reverse culture shock uh-huh. when you came back to the states. Were very similar to your mom and dad trying to recreate lasagna and macaroni and cheese over in Taiwan was at least when you first got to school was it a lot of oh I, you know I'll stay in and cook because this is you know something comfortable at least in North Carolina yeah I mean it would it would initially start I figured out at the time Grand Asia was probably the closest mm-hmm. uh, like um, Chinese or Asian supermarket yeah. I figured out that was there, and I would make a run every month and fill up a... <laughs> <laughs> and were you in an apartment or a dorm at this I was point? in a dorm. Wow. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, you know, most of it was like specialty ramens mm-hmm. or something like that, which I would start to doctor, like, yeah. like change it a little bit. Um, you know, I would always stop and get their beef noodle soup, mm-hmm. you know, because that was the closest one I could find to Taiwan. You know, I would get my my green onion scallion pancakes. Uh, I would get the the zongzi, which is sticky rice wrapped in uh, bana- b- b- uh, bamboo leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually with minced pork and shrimp on the inside. Oh, those are so good. I really <laughs> want to sell those too. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we would just we would just play around with those. Yeah, and and uh, and. You know, I would get their frozen dumplings also, and and use those for the times in between when we would have made mm. our own. Um, between that and the food that my Chinese roommates, that their parents would bring, I had a I, I tried you were okay. to, I tried to surround myself as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. So, what brought you back to North Carolina? Is this where you were born? This is where I was born, um, and I guess I had residency here mm-hmm. in, in North Carolina. This is my state of residence, even though I was in Taiwan for most of the time. So, um, you know, for tuition purposes, it made sense to, yeah. to go to school in, in state. But I came back to go to university. Yeah. yeah. Was there, during that time, not just because of food, but because of that culture shock in general, was there, I mean, there had to be nights where you thought, you know what, I was doing okay in Taiwan. I, I will be okay if I go back to Taiwan. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I went back, uh, I guess, maybe three three or four times since I came back to the U.S., mm-hmm. but, um, you know, anytime I saved up enough money, I always wanted to go hit another continent. Right. You know, traveling was really my thing. I would, I would work in restaurants, especially like bars, so I right. could basically just save up enough money to go. Yeah. Uh, to go on my next trip. Yeah. So that's interesting because of your love of travel. Um, I guess I guess it makes sense that you 
didn't go back home, for lack of a better term. But at the same time, you came back to... I kept coming back here. You kept coming back here and, and not only went to school here, but settled here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and started my business here. It's it's kind of crazy. I never, I never would have guessed it at the beginning. Um, I was actually on my way back to Taiwan to, to stay, to move there, mm-hmm. right before my partners pitched the idea. Oh, wow. And then I ended up making a decision to, to, you know, have one, take one more risk, mm-hmm. you know, do one more thing before I left and went back and taught English like I did in eighth grade. Yeah. But um, it's in, in all of my travels, though, I, I always am seeking out those neighborhood street stands that, of that are cooking right in front of you and that serve you very quickly. You were talking about sort of like like the speed of food um, being a factor with, with trucks. Right. Um, you know, that's that's definitely something that we are we have in our minds. We're we're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Like like good, specific, fast food, just like just like you can find on the streets in most other countries. Yeah. Is what we try to recreate. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh so you said your parents uh went to Taiwan as part of a mission that mm-hmm. implies through church or through a um through a different type of charity? It was through church. Yeah. 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 And they uh Is that still a big part of your life? Not so much mine, yeah. uh, although I, I definitely respect what they sure. do. And, uh, um, but, you know, they, they definitely uh, sort of devoted their life to it yeah. in a long, yeah. l- the long game. Yeah, the reason I ask <laughs> is because, you know, when you, when you are in the restaurant business, whatever, whatever form that takes, whether mm-hmm. brick and mortar or food truck, it takes up so much of your life mm-hmm. that you know things that you enjoy doing or or are important to you suddenly one day you wake up and realize i haven't you know whether it's been to church or sat down to watch a unc basketball game or whatever it is in three years <laughs> <laughs> this this is this is very true yeah this is very true and you know my my folks uh you know their their work they put their entire life into mm-hmm. as well is very much you know a work of passion yeah so they get it. Then. So I, I, you know, I, I wonder like, where, where do I get this like the, the endurance and the passion to keep mm-hmm. doing this like day in and day out, year after year, and and you know make si- sacrifices when you need to. I'm like, well, okay, uh, I guess I probably got it from my mom and dad a little yeah. bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you seem very comfortable with this being your life. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love what, what I do. Just, I mean, looking around the office, you can probably tell there is, there is always something going on. Yeah. You know, we're, we're managing four or five different calendars at once. Uh, you know, catering gigs are coming in and, and, uh, you know, I, I've learned so much through, through the past three years, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from other food truckers, from, from chefs, from my staff, you know, whenever I first made the decision to to start Cherba with my my partners, um, you know, I decided that if the truck blew up on the first day <laughs> and we didn't make a single penny, yeah. that the investment of time, those five months and the money was already going to be worth it mm-hmm. uh, because of what I was going to learn about starting starting a business. Yeah, you know, we we had kind of like. Like the dream team, you know, Shayla was a um, fantastic marketer. Ian was an engineer. Ali was business. You know, I knew kitchens and restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so, that so was that the jump, like directly from working in kitchens, bars for other people to your own? That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and so I learned I learned all these other skills from my partners and then just from from survival that mm -hmm. you know you have to get it done right once once you're in it you have to open you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> you have to start making money yeah and uh, you know, it's, I'm 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 addicted to learning. I love mm -hmm. I love learning things, expanding my experience in my mind. So, you know, this is definitely a a, a career that suits someone like me. Yeah, it's, it's a constant challenge. Yeah, how hard in terms of you know each aspect of starting Cherba Cherba, uh, how hard would you say actually finding the truck was? Oh man, that that one was pretty tough actually. Yeah. And we find it in North Carolina or do you have to travel to get it? We did find it in North Carolina. Really? But we were looking at trucks all up and down the eastern seaboard. Mm -hmm. At the time it was in twenty eleven, the food truck craze hadn't quite hit. It was just starting right. to hit. So you could notice a dras drastic change in price like west of the Mississippi versus east on the price of food trucks. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we found our little truck uh, was already yellow mm -hmm. when we found it. I looked at it and I felt happy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's us, that's our truck. Um, it was yellow because it was originally a DHL truck and mm -hmm. she was gonna be a taco truck. Ah. She, had, she was completely set up for it. Uh, you know, um, the, the guy that had made it that was that was looking to sell it worked out you know a great deal with us mm -hmm. basically uh you know was kind enough to to put us on a payment plan oh, <laughs> and like so is it your truck yet or still paid it off it's ours oh yeah good. yeah we, we were able to so now you can do whatever the hell you want to <laughs> yeah yeah you know i do donuts in it at night <laughs> dumplings in your case. yeah 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 when you spin that truck around it makes dumplings <laughs> Uh, so uh, again, I'll, I'll jump back real quick. Uh, we were talking about how much of this business sort of overtakes your life. Mm -hmm. um, is there a significant other? Do you consider your partners? I mean, are they the only significant others you have time for at the moment? I do. I do have have a significant other, and it, it is very, um, you know, that that balance is what I'm always, of course, always looking for. And you know, I'm I'm fortunate that my partner understands that. You know. Um, even if we make plans to do something, right. there is always a chance that I could get a phone call and right. and have to leave as quickly as my feet will carry me. Of course. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's a lot of apologizing, and I'll I'll make it up. But you know, I I try to just kind of in the day to day, uh, just do a little bit extra, you know, be there as much as I can, or or you know, take care of. You know, dishes or cook. You're at talking home. about at home. At home, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that way, whenever those emergencies come along, yeah, uh, I have a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> four, uh, four, four partners in Cherba Cherba. Actually, uh, it's just me now. We started oh, off really? with four. I've bought all of them out. Oh wow. Yeah. So, so then there is no, um, uh, there is no. Uh, you know what? I can let someone else take this yeah. uh, tonight. It's got to be, honey. You got to understand. This it's, is what is. <laughs> it, it buck stops here. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's it is what it is. I mean, if I if I wanted wanted to play it like, you know, I'm I'm just gonna step back from it. Yeah. And not you know, then then that's what it would be. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to put as much time as I could into it, then then that's what it would be. Right. So, you know. There's there's definitely a, a balance between sort of my my uh, goals mm -hmm. and also 
you know, avoiding burning out. Sure. Burning out is a common problem with restaurateurs mm -hmm. and, and chefs to some extent. So, you know, that well, and, and families too. I mean, my, families, my yeah. parents' marriage was the victim of, you know, my dad being a, a chef and having his own place. Yep. And I, I, I don't say that as like a warning. I've just, you know. Oh, no, I've, I've already been through, you know, uh, uh, several, several relationships have already <laughs> bit the dust. It's, yeah. It's just, uh, I think the nature of, of, um, being in in food mm -hmm. and which is you know a passion career and also working for yourself yeah um so my last question if it is uh too private or or too uncomfortable just say the word and uh we'll back off and edit it out uh you have office space you have an off-site kitchen uh it seems like chirba chirba is doing well especially compared to other food trucks but is it doing well enough that you feel comfortable? And I don't mean like, do you feel rich? I mean, do you feel like you can live the life you want to? Or is it still, you know, because there's a food truck, I mean, that's a, a whole different group of costs than a, a brick and mortar restaurant that you have to look at is every day, we've got to hit this rodeo. We've got to take every job we're offered. Because it is, I mean, that's, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, my um, strategy is on um, heavy reinvestment, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm always going to be trying to right. better the system and grow. Right, it's, it's you know the growth has to be when the time is right and in the right direction. But um, in that sense, like, will I ever be uh, you know comfortable? You know, I'll probably be just comfortable enough to like start planning whatever the next thing is. Gonna, of course, <laughs> is, is going to be. Um, you know, because it is just me, I rely very much on my crew. Yeah. Um, and I have a. I'm really thankful to my crew. I have. I have a strong group with me now. Um, you know, but making sure that that they're taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, means that that truck needs to be out there working. Of course. So there's definitely a sense of like push, push. Right. You know, we're always, you know, it's always the last two minutes. Like, right. you know, it, it as a sports analogy, you know, it is always go time. Yeah. If we can take, if we can take an event, we're going to. If we can, right. you know, uh, we're always trying to do better. Think. Think smarter, <laughs> works work smarter. I should say. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the level of success is, or the 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 um, frame of mind you're in about it is enjoy it, don't get used to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and you know, like we still just have one truck. Right. All of everything we're we're working right. for. That was one of the things that like truck. I actually thought about. Uh, would you? ever consider doing a second chirba chirba truck or is the priority brick and mortar before i de i've i've definitely thought about doing a second truck um, or even i mean if it's not a second chirba chirba truck a, a different concept truck yes i you know i i i would be open to that yeah um you know i i see uh the market filling up a little bit right now um i probably would wait to see if we got some type of food truck hub mm -hmm. or or some area yeah. that would increase the amount of locations like portland. so that kind of like portland yeah. up a pod i think is what they call it yeah. their food truck pod they also have them in austin new york 
um, you know, there's there's been rumors uh, of something like that popping up in the triangle. If somebody doesn't do it soon, I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Nate Adams, uh, Chirba Chirba. Uh, ChirbaChirba.com? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so keep up with uh, what's going on there. Man, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Great time. Every time you slam the door. So let's see, what all did we learn? We learned that uh, every food truck operator must also have an office and a commissary that they work out of. Uh, we learned that Nate Adams' parents are people of the Lord and are doing much more important work than any of us uh, currently podcasting or listening to this podcast probably ever will. And uh, we learned that Grand Asia can help get a homesick boy from Taiwan through his college years. Uh, next week's show, I believe, is going to be Brent Hopkins, uh, one of the chefs, excuse me, or I guess I should say the chef at the Raleigh Times and Gravy. Uh, do, do, do. I guess that's all the announcement I have to do. Thank you so much for supporting Raleigh Co. Radio and Raleigh and Company. Uh, you can check out any of our other podcasts at raleighandcompany.com. Uh, so I'm Demetri Ravanis, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Maggie's mine no more